welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's Speakeasy chat is being brought to you by Squeaky Cheese Productions on the Cutting Wedge. You can find them on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. I met tonight's guest right after Johnny Heller's Day Before APAC Splendiferous Workshop back in 2017 or 2018, I'm not sure which. We were walking out together and introduced ourselves. Then I realized I'd left something back in the workshop room, so I went back to get it. And I'm not sure if we ever met up again during APAC. And given the craziness that is APAC, that's not all that surprising. Natalie Nottis Bradner, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. My pleasure. Did I get your, the pronunciation of your name right? Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, okay, I usually good. just go by Natalie Nottis in the industry. Um, but yeah, Bradner's cool too. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure your husband appreciates that sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he really cares, honestly. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Natalie, thanks for coming in tonight. This being a speakeasy, what are you drinking tonight? I have a seltzer with some wild turkey in it. Wild turkey, one of my favorite bourbons. It's our standard bourbon. We buy it in the giant alcoholic-sized bottles, and that's pretty much <laughs> what we eat, what, what, what we drink normally. Just splash it in seltzer or drink it with a little water or drink it neat. Yeah. It's standard. No, I, I do as well. They, have, uh, they always carry the big ones at Total Wine, and that's, I would say, probably... Two times out of three, maybe three times out of four. That's the uh, that's the handle that I buy when it comes to bourbon because uh, I think they make a really good product. Have you tried any of their uh, any of their other expressions like the uh, uh, Russell's Reserve or uh, I think that's yeah Russell's Reserve or or any um, I can't remember. There's another one uh, that I'm not remembering. You know, I think the first wild turkey that I tasted was their American Honey mm. when I was in Texas. Somebody poured that for me and. Um, I really liked it and I went and got a bottle and then I guess we started trying the other ones and now we just get the standard 101 mm -hmm. and that's our standard go-to bourbon. Yeah. Have you, um, have you kind of gone away from the, the flavored whiskey, the honey whiskeys? Uh, there's a peanut butter. Yeah. Whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. I don't drink anything fancy anymore, really. Sometimes I'll add a splash of lemon or, or pour some into some sweet tea or something, but I don't do flavored stuff that much anymore. I just, yeah. I don't know. I like it straight I, I, now. I understand. I'm kind of the same way. I've, I've tried quite a few. One that I really didn't like was, um, I can't even remember which company it was. I think it might have been um, uh, Crown Royal. It was an apple whiskey. And I just really oh. thought, you know, I'm just going to stick with whiskey. Uh, just didn't really do anything for me. I will say that screwball peanut butter whiskey makes a great after dinner drink. But uh, aside from that, I really, really don't go too much for the flavored whiskeys. But I like the fact that you said that every once in a while, a splash of lemon. Um, I, I A lot of times I'll do a, a poor man's whiskey sour and just kind of not really measure anything out, but just kind of put a little bit in and kind of, you know, charges it up a little. Yeah, totally. I don't measure anything, but sometimes I just add citrus or even orange, squeeze an orange in there, whatever. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I'm not fancy. 
No, that's cool. That's cool. I, I like your bourbon choice. Um, I am not having bourbon tonight. I actually did think that you might be drinking whiskey. I try to anticipate a little bit, and I know that you've posted about whiskey every once in a while, so I thought I'll bet she's going to have some whiskey. So I'm actually going for uh, a, a pink drink. It's a, a riff on a classic 90s cocktail, the Cosmopolitan, which I don't think was created mm. by, but was definitely, um, it, it got out there in the media with Sex and the City. Yes, um, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, but uh but I'm I created this one time for my wife cuz she wanted something with vanilla in it cuz she just loves vanilla. And so uh, I swapped out the citrus vodka for vanilla vodka and I swapped out uh the um not Grand Marnier, uh, Cointreau for uh something called Liquor 43 which is a uh, um it's kind of a citrusy and vanilla-y uh liqueur and uh and hmm put those together. And uh, I think it makes a great drink. She loves it. And, uh, and so I decided to have one of those tonight since I have never had one on this show, as far as I can tell. Huh. I don't really like a lot of vanilla flavored things, but it sounds intriguing. Um, yeah, my wife is a huge vanilla fan. I'm, I've used to think that vanilla was just boring because I always associated it with vanilla ice cream, which if you have cheap mm -hmm. ice cream, it doesn't really have that much flavor. Uh, it's just kind of something sweet. But if you have good vanilla ice cream, it's like, oh, holy cow, that's really good. Yeah, it's a pretty strong flavor. It is, yeah. And so uh, even though I don't like vanilla as much as she does, uh, I I definitely have have increased my my liking of it. And so uh, this this drink is actually a pretty good one. So uh, so Natalie, thanks for coming into the speakeasy tonight. Cheers. Cheers. So uh, Natalie, if I remember correctly, you are back east. Um, where'd you, did you grow up back east or uh, someplace else? No, I grew up around here. I grew up in Springfield, Virginia, just outside of D.C. And I went to college at George Mason University in Fairfax. Oh, and then I went to Mason. Texas. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Texas for my master's and then came back here. So I live about an hour west of D.C. now, close to Winchester, Front Royal area. So if I remember correctly, Andy Arndt uh, taught at George Mason. Am I? Am I? No, she correctly? taught no? at um, James Madison. Oh, I'm getting my presidents. Which is all presidents and statesmen's statesmen mixed up. Yeah, it's also in Virginia. I'm pretty sure it's JMU that she taught at for a while in Virginia. So. Yeah, I, th I think you may be right. I uh, for some reason I always hear that name and I think of Andy, but I, I'm just mixing up my elder statesmen. Yeah, we don't live that far away from each other. Um, we get together once in a while. Yeah, we're kind of neighbors, distant, slightly distant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's that's always nice to be able to get together. We've got a, a small group here in Tucson of uh, voice actors, and we were getting together prior to March of last year. And uh, we've done a few Zoom meetings, yeah. but uh, we're hopefully hoping to get back together sometime this summer or in the fall once everybody's all vaccinated and all well, not done, but mostly yep. done with that. So, yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So, um, so you went to graduate school, and what did you do there? Um, my bachelor's and my master's are both in opera, vocal performance. I thought so I remember I there was a, a there lot was of opera in there. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yep. So you spent, so both bachelor's and master's. So that's a lot of instruction and practice when it comes to opera. Yes, for sure. And I think it's translated really well to audiobook work because I have stage experience, acting experience, and then also a lot of vocal manipulation experience with like changing colors and resonances and ranges and things like that. Sure. Yeah. I, I think that singing is fantastic. And I agree. I think that there are a lot of things that carry over into long form narration. 
Um, so that's cool. So did you end up using your opera training once you got out of college? I did for a couple of years, but I never kind of broke out of the small budget level productions. Um, opera is very much, there's not a lot of well-paying positions and they kind of use young artist slave labor for a long time mm. where they're paying you basically nothing, or sometimes you're even paying to be a part of really prestigious programs. And I never like broke out of that, which is pretty normal for um, young singers. And I, I quit before I considered myself a failure. Like I really, I was starting to make some finals of competitions and stuff. But once I realized that I could get paid to read books and I could do it from home and I didn't have to like keep kissing up to everybody important in opera. I was like, dude, I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a smart choice. So when was that, that you uh, discovered audiobooks? I think, I think it's been about four years now. So it sounds like four years. So yeah. it, in that time frame, it sounds like when I met you at APAC, it was probably not too long after you started, which um, kind of. Yeah, I think it was my first APAC. Yeah, it kind yeah. of makes sense to me um, that I knew your name, but only from, you know, a few things online. So in four yeah. years, um, wow, you've you've done a lot of work and you've moved up pretty quickly. Uh, I know that I just checked your uh, your Audible books under your name. Uh, do, you, mm -hmm. do, you, do you have a pseudonym? Yeah, I narrate some romance as Victoria May, and she has like a hundred some titles too. Okay, so I, I thought that you had a pseudonym, and uh, I figured there were probably quite a few titles under that name. Um, but just under your name, you also have a lot of titles there, not uh, mm -hmm. a, a few more, I think, than than of the other one. But I just noticed today that you're apparently booked out quite a ways in the future because you're... Um, when you sort by uh, newest arrivals, you have a book on pre-order that's going to go on sale on, on Christmas, 2022. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Which one's that? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the meditation books. Okay, yeah. Um, that series is like, we're waiting for final manuscripts, so they keep bumping the dates out. So we'll see when it actually ends up happening. Oh, I see. So it might um, actually come out sooner. Or or later. I don't know. That <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's the Osho meditation books and it has it's through Macmillan but they have this the manuscripts have to be approved by the Osho Foundation which is a huge slow moving organization and mm. um we were supposed to record the first couple books even last month I think and we just keep pushing them off and finally they said just take it off your books we'll let you know when we're ready to schedule them so we'll see when they happen <laughs> That's pretty funny. It, it it does look pretty impressive, though, having having been booked up, you know, almost two years in advance. I know that it, that actually does happen, but uh, I, I yeah, just it is cool. Yeah. It is cool to search my name, and the whole first page is pre-orders. It makes me feel very cool. I yeah. <laughs> did notice that myself, and that's the first time that that's happened. That's great. That's great. So, how was it that you found audiobooks? What uh, what what happened? Uh, who introduced you, or was it just kind of a random finding something on the internet? How did how did that happen? It was just totally the internet. I listened to a lot of audiobooks when I was driving to rehearsals because um, I was commuting so much to get to these opera rehearsals. And I was really sick of it and discouraged. And I was looking to make a career change of some sort. And I didn't, I before I thought about audiobooks, I was thinking of going back to school to be like a dental hygienist or a sonographer or something totally different. And when I started finding online articles about narration and how people were doing it from home now, I just 
started doing it. I And once I got my first couple books on ACX, I totally quit singing. Like I ghosted my teachers and my coaches and I was like, I'm out. This is it. I If I can get paid to read books, I don't need music anymore. Wow, that's great. So you started out on ACX. I know that a lot of us have. Many, many, many narrators have started on ACX. So that was where you started out. Yeah. And I didn't know anybody in the in the industry. I didn't know anybody who did this. And I just totally like watched all the random YouTube videos and got on Facebook in that ACX indie narrator group. And I read all the old threads. And every time someone was giving advice, I would look up their name and see how many titles they had and check out their websites. And I really like intensively just schooled myself in the industry. Every time somebody mentioned a a publisher or a producer, I would put it on a spreadsheet and look them up, see how to submit. Um, And I just kind of hacked it. I didn't, I didn't have a coach. Once I got going after a while, I worked with PJ for some dialects, but I feel like I just kind of hacked it with the help of the internet and all the free information out there. That's great. P, of course, PJ Oakland is, uh, you know, known world round for his uh, his dialect ability. Yes, um, he, he definitely helped me out one time, and uh, and I know that many people have studied with him, and not just dialects, but um, but yeah, he's definitely well known for that. That that's so good to hear that you joined one of the Facebook groups, so that the specific one that you're talking about. Of course, I'm in there too, and I know a lot of people are. I think four years ago there were probably only about. Uh, I don't know, a thousand, two thousand members, and at this point, I think it's probably up to eight or ten thousand. So, um, yeah. quite, a, quite a few people in there now. Um, but it's so good to hear that you joined and you read all the old stuff, and then you found mm-hmm. something to look up and you looked it up instead of uh, <laughs> what happens a lot yeah. of times in these groups is you know looking up something and then not liking the advice, and then I don't know. It it totally. seems like seems like there are a lot more disasters along those lines in the conversations in those groups these days. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that's cool. So you found a lot of information and it sounds like you were just pretty dedicated from, uh, from the get-go. Yeah. And I don't think that it's a bad thing to get coaching and I totally could have. I just didn't know who to ask. I didn't know who to trust in the industry because I didn't know anybody. And I came from spending so much money with singing, always spending money for lessons and coachings and pianists and um, recordings that I felt like I was uh, propping up the industry by paying to try to do something that they were never going to let me into. So I came to audiobooks very suspicious and like, maybe I won't make it in. So I don't want to just fund the the coaching machine. I don't know. I Mm -hmm. guess I was suspicious coming from singing that it was just going to be an industry that was making money off of people trying to do it who weren't going to actually make money. So yeah. I just tried to hack it myself. And now that I know people, I could have totally gotten with some coaches who could have uh, made things easier for me, but it worked out okay. So Yeah, it sounds like it did. I, I totally hear what you're saying. You you really have to be judicious when you're, you know, deciding who to who to work with, if anybody. I've, of course, you know, you and I both think that uh, it's a good idea to work with somebody, especially if there's a good reason to need to, like the fact mm-hmm. that you don't come from a performing background or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's always good no matter what. I mean, Olympic athletes have coaches. So uh, so it's a good thing, but it is difficult sometimes to know who to work with. Uh, I know exactly what you mean. I have felt the same thing in the past. Um, and and so sometimes it's difficult to uh, to make that leap without any personal recommendations from people that you personally know. Yeah, yeah. For sure. but 
there are definitely a lot of good coaches out there. Yeah. And I know who they are now. So that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's great. So uh, what did you start out with? What kind of books did you start out narrating? I did. I think my very first book was like a royalty share mystery. And I did a lot of romance as Victoria. And I did some books for royalty share as Natalie that have not made me money, but they had good covers. And I thought that they would help me break into some genres that I wanted to do like YA and fantasy mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, so so yeah. that, that makes me think of two questions. The first one is you mentioned romance. Did you start in romance pretty early on, or is that something that you got into later? I did. And in fact, there's a couple romance titles as Natalie that now I would have put as Victoria, but it was before I had made my pseudonym. Mm. So it was pretty early on just because it was available and that was something that you felt comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, romance is something I didn't get into for quite some time. I had a lot of misconceptions about the genre. I'm, I'm so glad I've become a little more educated about what's out there and uh, and the fans and uh, and and what a big part of the industry it really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So uh, so mysteries, romance, quite a few different things. Uh, I totally get the uh, the choosing titles that haven't made money, but that you're not unhappy with. Some of my favorite titles that I'm so glad I got a chance to narrate haven't earned out. Uh, and, and I'm fine with that because they were fantastic books and it is something that, that you can put out there. I, I like to caution people who are trying to get into the industry that there are a lot of reasons to do something. Um, you shouldn't mm-hmm. take, you shouldn't take low rates and undervalue yourself, but if there's a royalty share title that's in a genre that you want to show that you can do, or that is a passion project, or for some other reason, there's, there's all kinds of reasons to do stuff. I think that uh, go ahead and do it uh, because uh, you, you just having that on the list of titles that you've done, you can point people to that and say, this, this was a great book. I really enjoyed doing that. Um, got great reviews and you don't have to tell them it never earned out. Uh, it's just totally. a good thing to have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Totally. hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. So, um, so one of the things that you loved about it early on was recording at home. So one of the things that I've, I've, uh, (laughs) as I've followed you online is, uh, that I found interesting was the fact that you have been doing this through not just not, not a home remodel, but a home building where you're actually on site on a lot where you're building a house. Is that correct? Yep. That's right. So you have undoubtedly had many challenges when it comes to being able to record when you are right in the middle of a construction zone. So I really want to delve into that and find out how it is that you were able to build such a good business in a relatively short period of time um, in such a challenging environment. Yeah, well, when I started recording, I was in my closet, like a lot of people in a townhouse, and I was just recording when my kids were asleep around neighborhood traffic and stuff. And when I realized that this was a career and my husband always wanted to move out further and I was ready to leave opera behind and I didn't need to be close to DC and New York for singing engagements, I said, okay, let's move. So we bought bought this piece of land um, and we got a camper and we lived in a camper on the piece of land and we were in the camper for, oh, maybe 18 months before we moved into the house. And the house still isn't finished. We're 
almost there, but we've been finishing it for a long time. So the first thing we did when we came to the property is we bought a shed and then built my booth inside the shed before we had a house. This was living in the camper. So I've been recording in this booth in the shed. So this has been my space, even when we were in the camper and then moved into the house and finishing it in there. So sometimes I have to work around, I mean, fairly often around construction noise and saws and stuff. Um, but I've been in this shed for a couple of years now, ever since we moved here. So that, that explains part of it in terms of, um, how you were able to keep out some noise. I mean, I'm sure, like you said, saws and, and the, the louder equipment, I'm sure, uh, and the louder projects, uh, would still get through, but I didn't realize that you were, re- that you built a booth inside a shed. So I'm sure that that helps yeah. at least a little bit. It does. It's not perfect. Last summer, we spray foam insulated the inside of the shed and tried to seal it up better. And it has made it quieter, but I still cannot record if it rains at all. Something about the drizzling is too loud. And in fact, we just purchased some like um, rubber exterior outdoor mats. And we're going to try gluing them to the roof of the shed to see if that little bit will take out Because we've done a lot and the rain is like almost not there, but it's just enough that I still can't record. And I have so many directed sessions this month that I've really been nervous about having to record around rain when I have um, three projects for Penguin Random House. So we bought these rugs. We're going to try to go up on the roof of the shed and put them down and see if that takes out the rain noise. Because I, the rain and then the wind up here can be really intense and the wind comes in too. So. We have this like long-term plan to build this like underground booth bunker office space. <laughs> as soon as the house is done, we're going to we're going to make that happen. That that is really cool though that that it sounds like I mean it was part of the plan when you when you first started out since you were already recording and you said that you already had kids at that point, right? And so when you were in your yeah. closet, you were already familiar with having to work around noise inside the house. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it sounds like that was great planning to say one of the first things that we're going to do on this project is to actually build a space where I can work before we even start or concurrently with even starting to work on building a house. Um, sounds like yeah, we planning. built it way before. Yeah, we built the booth and the shed way before the house. And that was a very good thing because this booth has paid for that house. So yeah, no kidding. That's that's fantastic. It's a a, a very very good planning move. Seems to me that planning is uh, one of the most important parts of setting up your recording space. I know it was for me uh, when I built my booth a few years ago after working in a closet, like you said, like most of us. Uh, I just had too many challenges mm-hmm. with outside noise, and so I built a booth, and I must have spent two months figuring out what I was going to do before I actually did it. And I think that that really paid off. So, um, so good job on, on planning for the booth. That's a really interesting solution, putting something on top of the roof. I also have a problem with the rain in my house because the room where my Mm -hmm. booth is has a skylight and Uh. the the rain on the roof, you can kind of hear it. The rain on the skylight is really loud. So if it's just drizzling, it's I'm fine, but if it actually starts raining, even if it's not raining hard, it's it's just too noisy. It comes through. So um, I like that idea. I totally understand that. that. Yeah. yeah, we had there's a ridge vent on the top of the shed that's metal, and at first, any 
precipitation at all. When I would hit that ridge vent, it would make a ping and it would come into the booth. So we went up on the roof and glued, I think just like some rubber strips onto the ridge vent. And that helps a lot. And then we insulated the shed more. We spray foamed inside here and that has helped, Mm -hmm. but there's still a little bit of, of rain noise in the booth. So I think crossing my fingers that putting those rugs up there will take away the last bit so I can work when it rains. I'm choosing to be optimistic. Yeah, no, that sounds like a great idea. I would not have thought of that. I, uh, you know, with my skylight, it's not really an option, but, um, but that sounds like a great idea because the the noise is the hard surface. And so if you have something softer on top of that, um, yeah, sounds yeah. like a great idea. Let me know. I hope it works out. Yeah, thanks. I hope so too. So if I remember correctly, I saw something online at some point about your recording space where you were dealing with bugs. I do get bugs inside sometimes, like especially stink bugs. And I just have to catch them and throw them out. I thought it was crickets. Oh, I did last year. Yeah, I have a cricket problem. Yeah, I forgot about that. That was crazy. Yeah, how'd you deal with that? Because in our house, we get we get crickets. I don't know why the hell they like the desert, but um, we we get crickets in the house. And back when I was in my closet, that was a problem. It hasn't been in the booth because they don't tend to get into this part of the house. um, And the booth, you know, the walls are are much better and denser. But uh, where I was before, that was a huge problem. I have to imagine that if you've got a lot of crickets in a shed in which there's a booth, that's got to be loud. (laughs) Yes. So this year I haven't had that problem. I used like foam strips around the door to make a tighter seal so that they can't come in. Oh, yeah. But last year I did have a really big cricket problem. And what I ended up doing was I brought my cat inside and left her in here and she would eat them. Oh, my God. (laughs) What a great solution. Nature takes care of the problem. Yeah. So she she saved the day there. I would bring her out here at night and all night she would hunt crickets. And in the morning I could tell she was tired. I'd bring her back into the house and she'd sleep all day. But I mean, they're nocturnal anyways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's hysterical. I've, I have not heard of that type of solution for that type of problem. <laughs> that, is, that is very cool. Um, so, but other than that, it sounds like the recording space is working pretty well. So hopefully if you can um, deal with the rain, then that'll be it. Three um, re- uh, directed sessions coming up for Penguin. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. You know, I have not worked with them directly. And then they sent me one book and then they sent me two more like all at once. So it was like the one publisher that I hadn't worked with. Mm-hmm. And I to- I gave up on them. I stopped logging into Ahab. I just gave up. And then some things came in. And actually, I think the first one was because um, an author who's a friend of other authors that I've worked for, she ended up requesting me and she messaged me on Twitter to say, I requested you. So yeah. So I'm, I'm happy to have cracked that aspirational nut finally. (laughs) Yeah. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Penguin's, Penguin's great. The the people that I've met from there, I haven't worked for them, but the people that I've met, um, Julie and Dan, um, great, great people. Really, uh, really like talking to them. Yeah. I'd met people many times, but they just hadn't hired me. So I honestly had kind of given up on it cause I'm busy and, you know, we mm-hmm. just work with the people who want to work with me. So that was cool that that all started coming through. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, I know that that's true in other places too. I've, I've heard uh, multiple stories of people working in other areas of voiceover where, um, they try and they try and they try and they make contact with this, these companies. And then, 
they they end up giving up and they don't email them anymore. And then like two years later, out of the blue, they get an email and say, hey, we got this job. We want to hire you. Are you available? And and it's like a done deal without even an audition or anything. So it happens. People people yeah. have long memories. I, I know that's why they say uh, you only get one chance to make a, you, know, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Um, people have long memories. Totally. So you never, you never know. And you know, all three of these things that came from Penguin this month, none of them were auditioned. They just sent them to me. <laughs> Wow, that's fantastic. Which is so unusual. I I audition for most things these days. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I I don't know. I and I totally did give up, and they finally contacted. Yeah, I think that people in the industry like to see you around. Natalie, are you there? Connected hey, to I'm audio. Back. You're back. Sorry, my internet went out, and I had to run a cable to the backup internet. <laughs> no, that's that's fine. I actually think that's kind of funny. So um, we were speaking just a minute ago about directed sessions and your internet went out. Yeah, I know. It's (laughs) ominous, isn't it? Yeah. So hopefully that won't happen during a directed session. I know. I hope not. (laughs) So now you're working for Penguin Random House. You've worked for a lot of different publishers. You've done a lot of indie stuff. Is there anything that you won't narrate? Um, anything that you really are questionable about? Anything like that? I turned down a really well-paying thriller series a couple months ago. That was just, it was just disgusting. And it went over the line with um, my line. I don't know how to explain it. Like I, I narrate a lot of grisly stuff, but this was just, it was, it was, had a lot of racial slurs and I was like feeling really yucky about it as I was prepping it. And then I got to the middle of it and it had a really, um, I don't even know how to say this. It was um, (laughs) a very graphic uh, animal on person rape scene that was like, yeah. And I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't need this money. I'm, I'm good. I'm just gonna (laughs) send this right on back. So I guess I found my line there. I don't, (laughs) I don't often just turn down a book, but this was one that I was like, wow, I don't need to say this. I'm, I'm good. I would rather take a week off. So. Yeah, no, that's cool. Uh, whether you already know your line or whether you find it along the way, it's good, good to, good to have that information going forward. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, so, but in terms of romance, I mean, you've done all kinds of different romance, right? Yeah, I have. I do tend not to take, um, dark romances these days or even, I don't know how to say this. I've been turning down more romance in general just because I would like more titles for Natalie and not Victoria. And mm-hmm. Natalie is keeping a really busy schedule. So I don't need those Victoria titles as much. Right. So sometimes if it's, you know, my schedule is looking kind of busy, I will turn them down. But I do have plenty of Victoria stuff scheduled. Um, I like variety of work and I like quality writing. So wherever that comes... I'm happy to do it, but some there's a lot of lower budget romance that, um, you know, a lot of indie stuff that's not as well edited. And if I if I have space, I would take it, but I don't need to these days. So a lot of times I turn it down. Yeah, no, makes sense. Um, so you you mentioned something on the on the series that you turned down was the racial epithets. I know that a lot of things have been changing in voiceover in general, and that includes audiobooks, although audiobooks are typically sort of outside. It's 
kind of the bastard stepchild thing um, of voiceover in general. Uh, not not really that way anymore, but it is still a very separate genre compared to most of the other commercial promo, et cetera, work in voiceover. But things have been changing all over in terms of representation. Um, and, and I know that I've seen you post things about that online. Um, and it seems to me, if I have the timing correct, that that was really just starting to become more of an issue right about the time you were starting. What have you seen mm-hmm. in, in terms of representation of, um, you know, di- different types of characters since you've been in the business? Yeah, it seems like most of the audiobook industry agrees that if the main character is BIPOC, that the narrator should somewhat resemble that. And there's a lot of, I feel like voiceover is the very latest to this discussion because our faces aren't visible and it is just our voice. And of course, you know, um, a Asian or Hispanic or Black actor does not have a sound. They can sound a lot of different ways. But if it's truly just talent-based, as a lot of people claim, then why is voiceover and audiobooks still overwhelmingly white? I know that when I started going to events, I was like, wow, it's a sea of white people. (laughs) And representative casting having opportunities for people of color to tell their own stories, especially in books that are written by authors of color, is is a way for there to be jobs for us in the industry and for more of us to see that there is a career for us there and to to come to it, to have have work. Um, And I know that there are people who defend, you know, uh, having white people narrate everything like it's always been, but I just, if we want to see a body of narrators and working actors and stories that represent the world we live in, we need to start by casting books with a narrator who can tell that story in a more authentic way is how I see it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, it, it took me a little while to come around. I mean, I'm an old white guy and and initially in voiceover, I was thinking, but it's it's the acting and it's just your voice. And I, I didn't really think about the the representation aspect. And uh, I have absolutely done a done a 180, not not because I'm trying to conform to you know the current popular stand, but because I actually had to step back and and think critically about what people were saying and the arguments that were being made. And I finally realized, wow, yeah, the the whole representation thing and and the whole having people be able to tell those stories more authentically because of their background makes a hell of a lot of sense. And, um, I, I know that there are a lot of others, uh, you know, in my age range and, uh, and, and maybe other age ranges as well, um, where it took a little bit of convincing, but once I was, it was like, wow, why was this so hard? Um, yeah, it's, it's difficult sometimes when you grow up with a certain mindset to, to change it, but it's not impossible. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I like the way that you put that, um, uh, you know, being able to tell the story authentically, uh, there, there are a lot mm-hmm. of things that go into that. So, yeah, so that's cool. So has that affected your work at all in terms of, uh, if I'm remembering correctly and please correct me if I'm wrong, having a, a, a background, an Asian background, uh, mm-hmm. are, are you cast in more titles where they're looking for somebody or is that something that you seek out? Or I, I guess I'm, I'm just thinking more in terms of yeah. how has it affected you directly? 
Yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag for me that sometimes there are producers who will only think of me as an Asian actor. And I can tell because that the stuff that they send me is um, all Asian themed, which is fine. But like I am, I'm biracial and I'm born, raised in America. So I'm very capable of um, narrating a wide variety of books. So in some cases I've had to maybe kind of ask or nudge publishers um, to to see think of me more broadly. But honestly, if I work with enough producers, they'll each think of me in a little bit of a different way. Mm-hmm. So then I end up with a nice variety of work. Yeah. Um, I do know that when I started, there were very few Asian narrators and they were so kind to me when I when I got started because they they wanted there to be more more BIPOC in the industry so that we can narrate a more wide variety of books and not just get pigeonholed into telling just one kind of story. Um, so I and I try to keep like my own spreadsheet of of Asian narrators so that if something's not right for me, I can try to find somebody who more closely um resembles and identifies with that story. So I, I find it's the narrating community has been a really nice tight-knit community that we recommend each other for stuff and um, we support each other. I forget what the question was. No, that's that's fine. I, I actually love hearing that. I know that uh, Stacy Gonzalez and a friend of hers uh, have also started reaching out to uh, Hispanic narrators and mm-hmm, yeah. find, finding out who has that in their background, and um, I, I think that's great. So that so that we all have uh, you know resources and people that we know, people that we can go to, who can help us to uh, make sure that the stories that are being told are being told you know as authentically as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that's that's very cool. Um, well, so <laughs> what do you do when you're not? I mean, it sounds like with as much work as you have, I mean, I just checked your your Audible titles earlier, not for your pseudonym, but for for your name. And uh, and the farthest out title is something that is scheduled to release on Christmas 2022. So clearly you're booked out pretty far in advance. Uh, uh, aside from narrating and building a house and having kids, what do you do? <laughs> you have any free time at all? <laughs> There's not a lot of free time. I always try to exercise because I find that being in the booth so much is not great for my health. So I have to be doing some kind of exercise to keep moving. Um, A lot of times I'm prepping books. My latest thing that I do for fun is I, we got a hot tub. So I sit in the hot tub at night and uh, stare at the stars. And that's pretty, that's pretty great. I have a garden. I love that. We used to have a hot tub in San Jose and uh, I used to, it it, it was, it was, it was right outside the bedroom. And so I could just go outside and San Jose has a lot of problem with light. Whereas Tucson is a dark skies city. San Jose is definitely not. So I couldn't see the stars all that much, but it was great to, to be out there, especially if there was like a full moon or something like that going on. Or if it had oh, just yeah. been really windy and, and clear and I could look up and see the stars. That that was great relaxing time. I totally hear you on that. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's like what I do every night now is I sit in the hot tub and I look for shooting stars and it's the best. That's fantastic. Are you out far enough? I garden a little bit. I have some. Oh, go ahead. Are, are you out far enough from uh, city lights to where you normally have uh, a lot of stars out and uh, shooting stars are not uncommon? Yes, we have amazing 
um, view of the sky out here. It's pretty dark. If I look east, I can see the city light like towards DC and the suburbs. But where we are, it's it's pretty dark and I can look up and see lots of stars. And we can actually see um, an airport pretty far in the distance and I can watch planes going into land there and taking off from there. So it's fun. I hope it's far enough in the distance to where you love it at night, but you don't hate it during the day when you're trying to record. I do have to stop for airplanes once in a while, ah, but right. um, yeah, it's I, not as troublesome as the wind and the rain at this point. So totally familiar with that. We are not too far from Tucson International Airport, and I think a little bit closer to an airfield, to a, an Air Force airfield. And um, it's frustrating on the days that they decide to go out and do a lot of training. But um, but that's good that it's, it's sure. not too much of a problem. So uh, you don't realize how noisy the world is until you try to record an audiobook. God, ain't that the truth? I, I mentioned to my wife one time. Oh, it's so frustrating, you know, all the planes going going through, and she's all, "What?" I'm like, "Didn't you hear right? all the jets?" She's all like, "No, I didn't hear anything." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah well, I did." <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. Well, that's cool. So, so Natalie, you have um, you have definitely moved up quickly in the audiobook world. Um, what words of wisdom would you have for aspiring narrators out there? I don't know. <laughs> um, that's fair. I've, I've had a couple of people, uh, especially people who are, you know, top of the game who said, you know, I don't coach cause I don't know what to tell people. And, and that's yeah. fine. That's fine. I just, I always like to ask people because I feel like if anybody's listening, who is a newer narrator and, uh, they, they appreciate hearing from, the, the more veteran narrators who have done a lot of titles, they've worked with a lot of publishers. Uh, so yeah. I always like asking, but if, if it just sort of happened and you're not really sure what to advise, that's fine too. I guess the main thing that I would say is to advocate for yourself and to push for the career that you want because no one's going to hand it to you. And the path of least resistance for me would have been to just be doing nothing but romance and I really got myself organized and really pushed and worked to meet people and ask for things that I wanted. And I've gotten so much that I've asked for. So I guess to um, be at the steering wheel for your career, even if it feels like you have to wait for stuff to come to you, go go look for it, go make it happen. That's great. I, I love that. Um, you know, be be honest with what you're looking for and don't settle. Yeah. Yeah. No, good advice. I think that's good advice in life as well as in audiobooks. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah, appreciate your time. I uh I hope the bourbon was as good as it usually is. It's very good. Yes, thank you. Bur- bourbon and soda, always a good one. All right. Well, uh where can people find you if they want to look you up online? Yeah, I'm all over social media, which I think has been helpful with my career. If you search Natalie Naudus, N A U D U S on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm all over. Oh, no kidding. You're doing the TikTok thing. I'm actually kind of killing the TikTok thing. Really? I don't know how or why. I just started it like two months ago. I I just passed uh, 40,000 followers and oh my I'm almost God. at a million. Wow. I'm almost at a million likes. I, I don't know. I, my stuff is just pretty humdrum for me, but um, it's doing really well. I'm actually making money with it too. So that's weird. Wow. That's fantastic. I, th- <laughs> this is the first time I have spoken with somebody who is doing that well with TikTok. Congratulations. 
Thanks. Yeah. And I honestly think it's helped me get in with some publishers that I hadn't because I had a couple kind of audiobook related stuff go viral. And I had a lot of people like texting me saying, you know, my my uncle sent this to me because he knows I work in audiobooks. So it really made made the rounds. So that hasn't hurt my career at all. That's, sure. that's, that's great. I uh, TikTok is one I have not uh, not explored yet, nor uh, Clubhouse, which is the new the big new thing coming up. And I know that Andy Arndt. Yeah, I and haven't done that. Many other narrators have have talked about how it's great, and voiceover in general. I've actually heard several conversations from other voice actors in other genres who um, have booked great jobs because of the people they met in some sort of clubhouse meeting thing or whatever they call them. Uh, so yeah. that's one that I have not looked into yet either. But uh, but that's fantastic. Good for you. Yeah. Thanks. So I understand that you also did something at uh, Vo Atlanta. Yeah, I taught a couple of sessions. I presented an X session to a small group on character voices, and we workshopped some really intense um, character scenes that had five plus people in each scene. And then I also gave a general session seminar on social media and marketing yourself to publishers and authors and listeners. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, so the the social media thing, I'm sure, uh, helps out with the TikTok stuff. Um and and the character stuff, I'm sure that that was a little bit difficult. I'm sure that there were a lot of people in the session who wanted to be involved and you had to, you know, was it just a random selection of the people who wanted to be involved? No, it was like a sign up and it, um, I think it was 12 people and then it was full and it actually filled up pretty early. Uh, I've been okay. kicking around the idea of of doing it as like a webinar or something for smaller groups because I did have quite a bit of interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of kicking that idea around. We'll see. I'm pretty busy, um, but I do get a lot of, I've gotten so many emails from people asking to do coaching that I'm starting to do a little bit, but I'm I'm not trying to do a lot of it because I do have such a busy recording schedule. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that's, uh, that for other coaches that I am aware of who also are recording kind of nonstop, it, it is uh, kind of a scheduling nightmare. So um, totally, totally yeah. understand. That's cool, though. Uh, do you plan on looking at uh, VO Atlanta 2022 as an in-person kind of thing? Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I was invited to present, so we'll see if they ask me to come. I was supposed to go last year, like in person, and it got canceled. And I had attended the previous two years as an attendee to pay to be there. Oh. Um, and so this time I got to present. And so we'll see if they ask me to come when it's back in person again. I don't know. They do like to swap, like to rotate and not have the same people. So, but I wouldn't be surprised if I got to go present again. And that would be cool. Yeah. No, that's great. I, I have not been to VO Atlanta yet. I uh, attended voice i think it was 2008 this is like way back in the dark ages uh long before i was doing audiobooks professionally um but i have not been to vo atlanta and i keep hearing very good things about it in terms of voice voiceover conferences yeah as an attendee for a couple of years i i had a good time and i met a lot of people it was a good way to start start getting going in the industry yeah cool all right well thanks for coming in natalie really appreciate your time thanks rich Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Natalie Nautis for coming in for a drink. I really enjoyed hearing about how her serious planning and dedication to her narration business helped propel her quickly up the audiobook ladder, and I hope you did too. Don't forget to check out the sponsor for tonight's episode, Squeaky Cheese Productions. They're on the cutting wedge. They're on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com, and I'm very grateful for their support of the audiobook speakeasy. 
As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all the usual apps. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!